Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Every team has a plan. Every fan has an opinion. 630 Chad has you covered. Bob Stoffer and Jack Michaels are on the road with the Oilers. Rob Brown is in studio with host Reed Wilkins. This is NHL Trade Deadline Day on Oilers Radio. 630 Chad. Deadline day in the National Hockey League. One o'clock this afternoon, the final time that general managers can make swaps. The Edmonton Oilers, a couple of deals over the weekend, and we're waiting to see what happens with Patrick Maroon. Of course, it's long been expected that he will be traded away before the deadline. Thanks a lot for joining us this morning. It is 11.05, live from Rogers Place, along with Rob Brown. I'm Reed Wilkins. We'll check in with Bob Stoffer in a couple of minutes here, keeping an eye on other activity around the NHL and we'll keep updating you as we move along here Rob but the Winnipeg Jets get Paul Stastny from the St. Louis Blues for a first rounder in 18 Eric Foley and a conditional 2020 fourth rounder well a couple things about that trade first I think Winnipeg did very well I mean Stastny is going to solidify their team going forward I think it says that the St. Louis Blues are more or less giving up on their season they traded a very good player to a divisional rival and I, I think this, we, we talked about yesterday, I thought the Nash trade, the Rick Nash trade, I thought Boston gave up way too much. And what you saw today, I think Stasny's a, a better hockey player than Rick Nash at this point in their career. And the Winnipeg Jets gave up less to get Stasny than the Bruins did to give up to get Rick Nash. So I think this is a good trade for, for the Winnipeg Jets. And a signal from the St. Louis Blues is they don't feel this is the season for them. All right, Bob Stoffer is uh, with the Oilers after a couple of wild finishes over the weekend where the Oilers uh, survived a goalie re- interference review on Saturday night and then could not survive a late comeback from Anaheim last night but won in a shootout. The Oilers have won three straight. Uh, they'll try to sweep California tomorrow against the Sharks but Bob, as we uh, roll uh, towards the uh, deadline here, Patrick Maroon still out there. Uh, what do you think is going on with the big rig? Well, I still think there's uh, several teams in a uh, you know, when I was on with Jesperson about an hour and a half ago, we talked about Nashville. Uh, given the Ryan Hartman trade that occurred today, I would suggest that likely takes Nashville out. I think Nashville was looking for an upgrade over Scott Hartnell. Um, I still think Winnipeg's in the mix. Uh, don't forget the orders. There's different ways to do deals, guys. I mean, Winnipeg's sitting there with Sean Matthias. His cap hit is actually more than what Maroon's is. So if the orders were to theoretically take a guy like Matthias back, do they get a better pick or a better prospect? Uh, I agree with Rob's assessment of the Winnipeg trade. I think that we've seen Kevin Dayoff has been very deliberate in his approach since he's been GM, and he's not a guy that makes easy trades. In other words, he, he battles for every inch in every trade, and sometimes that complicates matters. Um, I think that Tampa Bay is trying to do something bigger to upgrade their defense, and once they get that done, do they circle back to add Patrick Maroon? You know, is that a guy that would be an option for them, given the history of John Cooper and Patrick Maroon? Patrick, of course, playing for him in St. Louis with the Bandits and the old North American Hockey League. Uh, Tampa Bay, definitely a team that can use some size. St. Louis, uh, that's an interesting one to me. I mean, nobody envisioned this with St. Louis. First 30 games of the year, that might have been the best team in the NHL. They've completely fallen off here. I think that lessens the probability uh, that uh, Maroon might end up in St. Louis. And, uh, you know, so there's 
three teams right there, uh, and and there might be an outlier out there that we haven't thought of either. So somebody had said Toronto to me. I will tell you guys last night, uh, the three teams, and I found this interesting at this time of the year, there were only three teams in the building in Anaheim. Now, normally there's nine or ten uh, pro scouts in Anaheim and Los Angeles at games, but what happens is at this time of the year, several organizations have their pro scouts in in their war rooms as they're working on deals. Um but the three teams were Boston, uh, along with Toronto and Chicago. Now, Wade Brookbank was there from Chicago. Maybe he's looking at guys from Anaheim. Uh, but, you know, don't, Stan Bowman and Pete Chiarelli are very tight. Um, you know, they work together with the World Cup team. Uh, Toronto, uh, Troy Bodie, former winner of draft choice, was there. That You don't want to read too much into it, but it was odd that those were the three teams that were there. So, uh, do I think Maroon goes? Yes. Is this becoming a more, you know, could they get the same sort of return that they got with Latestu? No, because I think Latestu actually carried more value because of the uniqueness and the uh, of his ability to play in lots of different situations and scenarios than maybe Maroon, who's, let's face it, he's a, he's got to be a, a top uh, nine left wing that brings some size to a team. You can move uh, Latestu a bit around your lineup. So that's my perspective on where we're at with Maroon at this time. All right, and of course, Latestu was traded for Pontus Aberg. You'll hear some comments from him as we move along throughout our coverage today. Bob, you mentioned T- Tampa Bay possibly uh, wanting to do something big on defense. Look, Eric Carlson's name is is really flying around. This was a guy who, during the, the playoffs last year, a lot of people would have called the best player in the world, and he was going head-to-head against Crosby in that one series. He was phenomenal. Obviously, he and the Senators have an, having an extremely tough season. You hear a lot of stories out of Ottawa about a uh, huge breakdown in the relationship between he and owner Eugene Melnick. I mean, Bob, you and I and Rob were talking last night about big names traded at the deadline, ones that have actually helped team Stanley Cup. I, I, for the point Carlson is at in his career, if if he were to be traded at the deadline, uh, I mean, sometimes maybe we overuse the word blockbuster at deadline time. I don't think that, that would be an inappropriate description if Carlson gets moved. Well, it would be a monumental return. I, I would think that Tyler Johnson would be part of it, just because his uh, no movement clause doesn't click into July 1st, and there have to be some dollars coming back the other way. But no risk. The Tampa Bay Lightning are deep, deep, deep in prospects. I mean, for two years in a row, they've had more players on Team Canada than anybody else. Al Murray is a terrific scout, and Steve Eisenman runs a, a great organization. By the way, he missed the playoffs in two of his first three G, uh, years as a GM down in Tampa Bay. Uh, breakdown in relationship, guys. When you have a superstar player, okay, when do breakdowns occur? Right? When do guys like that get moved? Well, sometimes they get moved when you have a Pocklington-esque situation. And that is where they're at in Ottawa right now. In fact, I would argue that they're in a worse situation in Ottawa uh, than it was here in Edmonton. Uh, just because, well, mind you, at the time that Pocklington was going through it, uh, we got down to about 6,500 fans a game here, right? But the fans hated Peter Pocklington, and they're at the stage now, I'm told, where they now hate Eugene Melnick. And the final nail in the coffin would be if he traded Eric Carlson. And I, I'm going to suggest to you guys right now that Eugene Melnick has less than 18 months as the owner of the Ottawa Senators. And for that market, it would be unfortunate if that cost them. Um, Eric Carlson, but Rob, I'm going to get you to chime in on this. Eric Carlson's best man in his wedding was Daniel Alfredson. After Brian Murray passed this summer, 
Daniel Upperson and Brian Murray were part of that management team. Uh, obviously, Brian passed away, and, and Daniel was not brought back. Uh, Ottawa operating on the cheap. They've only got three full-time pro scouts. Uh, they got eight amateur scouts, several of whom are part-time. Uh, this situation, to me, because of that, because of those variables, uh, Carlson could be in play. And I'm going to take it one step further. I know for a fact they're shopping Zach Smith hard, hard. The problem with Zach Smith is he's a lot like Maroon and Lucic. The game has changed and moved away from his type of players. Uh, I think they're trying to pull back a bit on Hoffman. And uh, they'd be stupid to trade Pajot because he's a perfectly priced third-line center. And they really like CeCe, and that would actually be another guy I'd consider moving. But it's, uh, you know what it's like. Like I mean, Daniel Alfredson was the best man at Eric Carlson's wedding. Uh, but when those sort of things start to happen, things unravel. Well, they do. I mean, Eric Carlson wants to win. And he wants to be known as a great player. And a great player is always playing on winning teams. And if they're tearing that team apart, and if their ownership and GM are saying the things that they've said over the last little while, and you're not feeling appreciated for everything that you've done. And Carlson, Carlson's done a ton in Ottawa. I mean, he was the best. He, he may have been the best player in the league for a couple of years, not just the best defenseman, the best player. And if you're not appreciated and your owner's saying the things and your GM's going on, well, anybody can get traded. Well, at that point, you say, you know what? As uh, LeBron says, I will take my, my talent elsewhere. <laughs> uh, he'd be coveted. I mean, and you'll be judged forever on what you bring back in an Eric Carlson trade. I can't imagine him being traded today at the deadline simply because, I mean, a lot of pieces have to be in place for him to be traded. But if he does, wherever he goes, they become an instant Stanley Cup contender because he is that good. What Connor McDavid is to the Edmonton Oilers and to the National Hockey League, Eric, Eric Carlson is the exact same. He's, he's got to be top five players in the world when he's playing the way he can. Well, and, and Bob, I know you mentioned Tyler Johnson, but I mean, I'm looking, if, if it's Tampa Bay, how does Ottawa not say, well, you got to give us Sergachev then, if we're giving you Carlson and you already got Hedman? I mean, uh, I, know, I know they just got Sergachev, but wouldn't Ottawa have to push for that? I, you know, in theory they would, but Tampa's going to need to clear the money. That's the reason why it's got to be Tyler Johnson. So if you take a look at the Tampa Bay Lightning sitting there with all those prospects, and by the way, uh, for me, in a perfect world, I actually want, if Maroon does get moved, the team I want to move to is Tampa Bay because I believe they're deeper in prospects. Uh, right now the Tampa Bay Lightning are at $73 million on the salary cap. Carlson's a $7.5 million hit. Tyler Johnson's $5 million. There's your math. Then you throw in the uh, the first, you know, first round pick. They got their first round for the next three years. You can throw in any one of those. I would, if I'm Ottawa, I'd probably want it this year. Uh, and then, and then you run into the litany of young prospects that they have. Just the forwards alone, Boris Kachuk and Taylor Radish. When, when you guys see see Saint Marie's winning the OHL, and uh, Reed, as you know, they are. Rob, you played in the league. These these guys are damn good, and they're really deep. And Boris Kachuk and Taylor Radish were big time players for Team Canada. Mitchell Stevens was on that team last year. He's had a good year in the AHL this year. Alibo uh, uh, Hayek is going to uh, have a chance here to play for the uh, Regina Pats for the Memorial Cup. He's a pretty impressive defenseman. They got Brent Howden as well. I mean, they got tons and tons of uh, prospects. Uh, so they could they could put a. I haven't even mentioned Anthony Sorelli, who can flat out fly. That was on the uh, World Junior Team last year. I mean, you're looking at a deep, deep hockey team. So I, I think it could be you know two prospects, a number one, 
and a guy like Johnson, and that's how it, it can happen in a hurry. Now, maybe that's not enough. Maybe I'm completely out to lunch. But there's got to be a math component that wasn't in there before, guys, 25 years ago, Rob, when your world was rocked. It was a 25, 29 years ago when, when we saw Wayne Gretzky got traded. Because for Ottawa, it will be a Gretzky-esque trade. And again, it happens when there's ownership issues. Well, it's funny when you say 25, 29 years. Quit dating me, Bob, okay? I played like three years ago. I just retired. I'm just out of the game. Um, the, the one thing, too, that you, and you talked about it, and you talked about all the prospects and good young prospects that Tampa has, it also shows you how important drafting and how important developing is, not for just the players to come and play in your organization, but allow you to make moves to get superstars. I mean, if you're in a franchise that only has one or two prospects, you, I mean, you're less apt to make a deal because, well, the, the, the cupboard's empty if we move these guys in the future. But when you draft well, when you develop well, it allows you to make moves because you still have other development players that are coming up. You still have other studs that are going to fill your lineup. So Tampa, because they've done so good over the last number of years of drafting players and having those players turn into what they feel are going to be stars in the National Hockey League, they can make this deal. Not a lot of teams in the National Hockey League have this ability to do it because they have not drafted or developed well enough. All right, it is... Oh, sorry, Bob, go ahead. I I was just going to say, like, I mean, the Oilers need speed. Anthony Sorelli, third-round draft choice, 72nd overall pick, won a Memorial Cup with Oshawa, uh, you know, Connors last year, junior. It's guys like that, you know, and the the amount of depth that they have throughout, you know, Kachuk and Radish or or power forwards. Radish played with Connor and Erie. I mean, those, it's that sort of thing, and that's where Everton's missed out on, and it's something that the Oilers have to do uh, to improve forward. But Tampa Bay is as deep as any organization in the league, but they got to get the D first before they circle back to Maroon. That's my guess. All right. We'll keep an eye on that. Bob Stoffer with the Edmonton Oilers in San Jose. We have trade deadline coverage until 3 o'clock this afternoon and then more when I have inside sports from 6 to 8 tonight. Uh, Bob will join us again here as we move along. You'll hear from Jack Michaels as well. Uh, after the 11.30 news, we'll catch up with a big deadline acquisition for the Edmonton Oilers back in their first year in the NHL. Ron Lowe is going to check in, and obviously he was the coach of the Oilers when they made some deadline acquisitions in the late 1990s as well. Reed Wilkins, Rob Brown, at Rogers Place, trade deadline coverage on Oilers Radio 630 Chat. You're listening to NHL Trade Deadline Day on Oilers Radio 630 Chat. So the Oilers traded Brandon Davidson on Saturday. They traded Mark Letestu yesterday. The new guy, Pontus Aberg, expected to debut tomorrow night against the San Jose Sharks. We expect Patrick Maroon to be moved out before the 1 p.m. deadline. We sit and wait on that one. Reed Wilkins, Rob Brown at Rogers Place for an update on today's trade action. Let's go back to the 630 Jet Studio. Here's Brendan Ulrich. Yeah, the first trade of the day was uh, Columbus acquiring Ian Cole from Ottawa for Nick Moutre and a 2023rd round draft pick. Uh, a few signings after that. Nashville signing Mike Fisher for the rest of the season. That's a one-year deal worth a million dollars. Calgary claimed Chris Stewart on waivers from Minnesota. Philadelphia claimed Johnny Oduya off waivers uh, from Ottawa. Nashville acquiring Ryan Hartman and a 2018 fifth round pick from Chicago for a first round pick in 2018, a fourth round pick and a prospect and uh, the biggest trade of the day Winnipeg acquiring Paul Statsny from St. Louis for a 2018 first round pick Eric Foley and a 2020 conditional fourth rounder 
Okay, and Vancouver gets Brendan Leipzig from the Vegas Golden Knights for defenseman Philip Holmes. So that's what has happened today. That's an interesting one too, Rob Hartman, uh, one of the younger Chicago Blackhawks. He goes to the Nashville Predators. Well, especially in Chicago where they are hurting and you wouldn't think they'd be getting rid of young prospects. you think they'd be you know, getting rid of some of their older players that they have on the roster. They're trying to shed salary and, and be, begin a rebuild because it's a couple bad... I mean, they had a bad playoff last year, a terrible season this year. Uh, I always liked Hartman when I watched him play. And uh, the Nashville Predators keep getting stronger. They're already a very good hockey club. And they get Hartman, who I, they can re-sign. He's, I think his contract's up. He's a restricted free agent at season's end. But uh, another kid with, with speed and skill going to a team that's already loaded up front. What is, and Rob, you, you've talked about your theory, though, of trading, <laughs> that you would be very reluctant to trade a first-round pick, even if you're a contender, and you might be pick. I mean, if you win the Stanley Cup, you automatically pick 31st, because yeah. they group the first four teams, or the final four teams. But, uh, I mean, okay, so if you're a good team, you're picking 20th to, to 31st, but you're saying you wouldn't even sacrifice that pick for a, for a rental well, player. Well, why, why sell the farm for, for a guy that you're going to have for two months with no guarantees? I mean, you, you don't know if you're going any further. We, we talked about the Boston Bruin trade. They give up a, a good prospect in Spooner. They give up a first-round pick for Rick Nash. Boston either is going to play either Toronto or Tampa in the first round, and if they don't play Tampa in the first round, they're going to play them in the second round. They're going to have a hard time getting out of their division. And you just gave away a very good prospect in Spooner, and you gave away a first-round draft pick. And you might not get out of the first round, and certainly the odds of getting out of the second round just got bigger for a Nash who is, I mean, he every year in the last four, he's gotten worse and worse and worse. I mean, I, I want to keep track from here till the end of the season who has more points, Spooner or Nash, by season's end. And right now it's 2 nothing Spooner. So uh, if you wouldn't make the trade in September, then why would you make it in March? And I, I don't believe in giving up future for for present especially with no guarantees i like teams that fill holes at the trade deadline they've bring in a character play they need a penalty killer let's go get a penalty killer like latesto going somewhere when carolina the year they beat the Oilers, i, I believe that year they got was it recce they got that year and they they went and found veteran leadership but don't be giving up uh, something that's going to cost you down the road for a hope and that's just the way i th- i believe i don't think throwing all this at some player hoping that you're going to get win a Stanley Cup. One team wins a Stanley Cup every year. So all those other players that gave up a bunch of stuff at the deadline, I mean, they're now not as good in the future, and that guy that they got is now gone. So well, part of the Hartman deal was Nashville did give up their first-round pick, but are you more comfortable with that because of his age? Yeah, is his age, and you can sign him, and he's with your, with your team the following season because he's a restricted free agent, so now you own him. So you can sign him, you can trade him, he's still an asset for you. Boston getting Nash at season's end, Nash is an unrestricted free agent. So you could be give all that away for a guy who played 20 games or 15 games for you, you're out in the first round, and then he's gone. So I like hockey trades. The Hartman trade to me is a hockey trade. The Nash trade was a rental trade. Rob Brown, Reed Wilkins at Rogers Place. So the Oilers activity, and you can always get more on 630Ched.com. No activity for the Oilers today. Yesterday, Mark Letestu to Nashville. The Predators then traded Mark to the Columbus Blue Jackets. From the Predators, the Oilers get Pontus Aberg, and he's ready to join the Oilers. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just good for me, and I'm excited to uh, to join Edmonton and uh, something that me and my age have been, been looking at to uh, to get a trade uh, to some team that actually uh, wants me and wants to use my, use my game. So uh, uh, I think it would be good for me. 
maybe uh, describe to us uh, what you think your strengths are and, and maybe how the fit and the opportunity in Edmonton could work better for you. Um, I'm trying to use my speed out there uh, and my shot as well. Uh, I haven't really got anything done here with the, with the Predators. Um, hopefully there's a better chance for me to, to get more involved in those kind of situations to, to score more goals and uh, get in the score sheet more than I, than I have been uh, this year. Uh, and uh, I don't play so fast game, so fast team um, just going to try to bring my, my speed into it and uh, I think it will fit uh, well so I'm uh, really excited for uh, to see what, what I can do there well he'll be an interesting guy to watch second round pick uh, in 2012 fast guy skill Rob scored in the American Hockey League it hasn't translated to uh, a lot of goals obviously in the NHL he was exciting in the uh, playoffs last year for the Predators scored a couple of big goals and made an impact with his speed and his checking everyone you talk to who saw him play with the Predators says it it comes down to consistency Mm -hmm. now a harder lineup to crack than I guess he's going to have here in Edmonton. But that's the thing. If you're not going to score, can you kill penalties? Can you check? Can you, I mean, he's not a fighter or anything, but but can you be a little bit physical? So I think that's going to be his his key if he's going to stick with the Oilers. Well, he, he was in a very tough situation in Nashville. They had a, a very good hockey club with players ahead of him in the depth chart that were better than he was. Uh, so his opportunities were few and far between. Uh, he's going to have plenty of opportunity here in Edmonton because the, the Oilers' lineup is not near as strong. So now it's up to him with when he gets the opportunity to sh- show what he can do. Uh, he has been consistent at the minor league level, and there's a lot of players that are capable of doing that. It is a big jump up to the National Hockey League level. You can come up and show flashes, which he did in the playoffs last year, but to stay in the National Hockey League level, you have to show a consistent effort each and every night and you've got to be able to if you aren't scoring you got to be good defensively you got to be able to get pucks in pucks out things like that and it sounds simple but we've seen the players that have come through here in Edmonton that have been successful like an Anton Lander who was very good in the minors but whenever he came up here the the step was just too big for him but uh, this young man's going to get an opportunity because this Oiler team is desperate for speed on the wings, that's one thing that he has plenty of, and hopefully it'll translate into some success here in Edmonton. And if he does, if he becomes a regular here, then it's a huge win for the Oilers on this trade. Aberg expected to debut tomorrow night against the Sharks as the Oilers will go after their fourth straight victory. They did everything in their power to drop the last two, but they survived against the Kings and the Ducks. We'll talk about that as we move along as well. Trade deadline coverage here on 630 Chet. Hey, Ron Lowe is going to join us after the news. It's NHL Trade Deadline Day with Bob Stoffer, Jack Michaels, and Rob Brown. Here's Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Rob and I live from the Hall of Fame room at Rogers Place. We await Patrick Maroon's future. Nothing going on that front at the moment. The headline trade today, Paul Stastny goes from St. Louis to Winnipeg. So the Jets bolster an already pretty good forward unit. We await other names, uh, perhaps Evander Kane, Thomas Vanek, Mike Green, Max Pacioretty, Rob, all rumored. 
potentially. All right. <laughs> Everything's a potential rumor at this well, point. It seems like once the next one falls, that they start continuing. Because right now, somebody that's holding an asset has got nine phones going, trying to get the best possible deal. So I'm sure there's seven or eight deals that are pending one deal. Whoever says, okay, you know what, Pacioretty's going here. All right, that allows Vanek to go here, which allows Maroon to go here. And the dominoes will fall that way. But when you have an asset, you hold on as long as you can to get the best possible deal. The one fear is if you hold on to your asset too long and someone says, you know what, I'm not taking a chance of missing out on something, and they go elsewhere, now your asset diminishes a little bit. So uh, it'll be interesting to see when it happens. It seems, you've done this a few years now, it seems there's always a huge lull where you and I are trying to kill time, and then we get about nine trades at the same time, and my favorite part is the one o'clock deadline comes, and then there's nine of trades announced after one o'clock. Like Patrick Maroon two years ago. There they you got go. that one just done under the wire, and then they couldn't announce it till it was officially approved by the NHL. So it could come down, Maroon could now be leaving Edmonton in, in, in such a deal this year. So. And, and, you, and, and I'm known of Bob's on the line, so you wonder where Patty is right now. Is he sitting in his hotel room? Is he sitting at a, a pub somewhere watching the on Sportsnet or TSN, seeing exactly where they think he's going. Is he on the phone with, you know, his family, trying to figure out what's to, what's next? Uh, his agent, I'm sure, is in contact with him. It, it, a lot of players are surprised when a deal comes. This one would be a surprise if Patty Maroon is here in, in two hours. All right, pleased to be joined on the line with former Edmonton Oilers coach and goaltender, now an ambassador for the team, Ron Lowe on 630 Chad. Ron, you're on with Robin Reed. How are you doing? Well, not bad. I, I heard the weather was uh, minus 7, and here it's plus 15, so I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he's, that, it's a different kind of heat down there, so it's more or less the same. <laughs> yeah, he, he's further south than Mill Woods, just to clarify. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for thanks for joining us, uh, Ron. Good to catch up with you. Hey, before we uh, get into some some trade talk and, and what you're doing now with the team, the Oilers had these two wild comebacks against them on the weekend. They they were able to survive both games, and, and to me, it brought back memories of of a game you would have been on the bench for back in the 1997 playoffs against the Dallas Stars, April 20th. You guys were down three nothing with four minutes left. By the time that there were two minutes left in the game, it was 3-3, and eventually you won in overtime. I mean, what, what do you remember about that that comeback? And and uh, you know, did did you feel pretty down and out with with you know four minutes left on the clock and down three? What happened there? Well, when it was three nothing and uh, the crowd was emptying out, it felt yeah a little depressing. <laughs> Actually, we had had a couple of really good chances in that third period and. Uh, the boys were kind of thinking that if they could get one, they might be able to get another one, and it it actually worked out to, to <laughs> above your wildest dreams to say. I wouldn't want to be on the losing end of that because uh, I'm sure Hitch was devastated by it. But uh, yeah, it was a special moment, and I think they kind of refer to it as the U-turn on the Capilano. <laughs> well, the one thing that 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 fans probably don't understand as much when the fans are sitting in the stands and it's three nothing, and as you say, they're leaving. The players on the bench, there's always that belief, and they don't understand because you're you're focused. You're in the game. You actually can do something about it. And there's no no player on the bench that thinks, okay, it's over. They, there's always that belief that if they do go get, okay, if we win this shift, then all of a sudden they'll tighten up a bit. So I imagine the bench was completely different their mindset than it was the people standing in the stands or the people that were on the way to their cars. 
Well, it's really it's really incredible that uh, the way that game went down. When we got it back to three two, we had a face off in their end, and Bobby McCammon looks at me and goes, "Do you think we should call a timeout now?" And I said to Bob, "I said no," and he goes. Well, pretty soon, I said, uh, not, no, I don't think so, because I think Rem's going to win this draw off Carboneau for the fifth time in a row, and we're probably going to get something out of it. He wins the draw. They get a shot from the point. I think Rosie tipped it in, Mike Greer, and uh, tied 3-3. But that's the way it kind of felt on the bench at that time. Well, of course, we just scored two, so you feel like a million bucks, but that is exactly how that whole thing laid itself out so so one of the other things ever i mean as, as much as just golfing every day the one thing that i've got to know with you a lot about in the last few years is you and your wife have put together hockey for the homeless and we've i just got the email we're going to do that again this year and that is spearheaded by you and your wife and does an incredible job of raising money here in edmonton and areas so you want to talk a little bit about that yeah, I really uh, thank you for bringing that up. We're back on board. We took a year hiatus last year, and for a couple of different reasons that we won't get into, but uh, now everything is uh, back on track, I think, as far as I'm concerned. We're keeping a little bit more money in the community, which to me is what it's all about. And yeah, you would have got your email yesterday or the day before, and Brownie, we're looking forward to seeing you there. For well, I look sure. forward I mean, to it. It's, it's a fun. It's a fun event. It, we all enjoy coming out and taking part of it. And you and your wife put in a lot of hours to to raise some big money for this area. Well, Linda's uh, unbelievable at it. She's uh, been a fundraiser for a lot of years in Edmonton, which is great. And uh, this one here is kind of uh, kind of special to both of us in the fact that. We can actually see what we're doing. It's kind of like the STARS event was. You can see that they're going to buy a helicopter or something like that. Here, the the establishments that are getting the money are right in our local community, which is, to me, is what it's all about. Yeah, that's awesome, Ron. Ron Lowe joining us tonight, or this after, this morning, man. I'm so used to <laughs> I'm so used to working in the evening. Uh, it is 11:41 in the morning. Special trade deadline coverage here on 6:30, Chad. Um, Ron, I, I want to take you back, and we're going to go a ways back if you don't mind. But on March 10th, 1980, you were traded to the Edmonton Oilers by Quebec for Ron Chipperfield. After that trade, the Edmonton Oilers went 9-2-1 with you uh, holding down the fort in net, and uh, you were able to sneak into the playoffs as the 16th seed uh, and play the Philadelphia Flyers in the first round, the fir- Oilers' first year in the uh, in the NHL after coming over from the WHL. So so you, I guess you were the Oilers' first big uh, trade deadline acquisition in their NHL history. <clears throat> I always told Slats it was the best uh, trade line deal he ever made. <laughs> and actually, uh, it was a, it was an incredible day for me. Um, I was playing with the Nordiques while I was playing all the road games for the Nordiques uh, because my last name didn't end in EAU. And so, uh, yeah, I, I didn't like Quebec much. I, I didn't like the, I mean, I love the city. I just didn't, I don't, I'm not a really strong French presence. I think I got 
12% in uh, my grade 12 French class. <laughs> That's because you could spell your name right. Yeah, why somebody wouldn't have picked up on that before they picked me up on uh, freaking uh, interleague draft is beyond me. But anyway, no, I remember walking into the office and Jock Demers had this really solemn look on his face. He was the coach of the Nordiques, and he goes, geez, Ronnie, I've got some really bad news for you. I'm going, okay, because... It was funny because that was when the Iran, uh, I thought the crisis was going on and they were marking days off in the calendar. Well, we were doing that. Most of the English guys were in uh, Quebec at that time. <laughs> we were marking days off in the calendar till the trade deadline. When I got called in the office, Jock was, he says, well, I'm really sorry about this, but we've traded you to Edmonton and we play it tomorrow night. And honest to God, I'm not stretching it. I jumped so high in his office and punched a hole in the roof of his pile <laughs> and said, oh, my God, you might have saved my life. <laughs> and I walked out. And we played them the next night, and I don't know what the hell the shots were. I think they were like 40 to 20, and we beat them 3-2 or 4-1. And uh, I said salute to Quebec City. <laughs> so now you, you've been, and I've been part of a trade deadline as a, as a player. And there's uh, when you're there's rumors about you, then there's a little anticipational nervousness as a player when there's nothing talked about you. To me, it's just kind of excitement to see what's going to transpire. But when you're a coach or in management, is it a different feeling at trade deadline than it is for the players? Well, I remember the trade deadline in. Um um, what the hell year was it? I think it was 99. Uh, we got Tommy Sallow very close to the deadline, which I was really, really happy about because otherwise we wouldn't have made the playoffs. He came in from the Islanders, had a absolutely phenomenal attitude. He was happy to get away from uh, Mike Milbury. Him and Mike have been fighting. And... Uh, I mean, are you? I mean, yeah. When you look at something that's going to help your team, I mean, you always you always miss the people that go because they've been a huge part of you the whole season. It's the same thing with players. I mean, you never want to see one of your friends go, but if your team gets improved, I know from a management and coaching standpoint, it was uh, it's huge, and it really is. Well, I'm looking back at that 99 year, uh, the deadline and the lead up to it, Ron. You got Tommy Sallow from the Islanders. Uh, you got uh, Cleary, Kilger, and Morrow from the Blackhawks. And Jason Smith, Jason Smith uh, came as well. So those were some guys who were good that year and really important parts of the Oilers um, moving into the 2000s as well. As a coach, is it? do you have to do anything to incorporate the new players or, or do you rely on the guys in the dressing room to make them fit in? And what can you do as a coach to help make the guys feel like, okay, you know, you, you, your life maybe got upended here, but uh, let's focus on the playoffs and the drive ahead? Well, you know, as management, that's, uh, yeah, you're, you're looking to slot your players, figure out where they're, exactly where they're going to fit in, whatever. I know that as a player uh, coming into the Oiler organization, I don't think I've ever been accepted anywhere more. And if you look at all the people that got traded to the Oilers through that era, the big the, when they were winning cups. I don't think there's a guy that ever came into that dressing room that didn't feel welcomed by first of all captain and everybody else involved. I mean, it was incredible 
uh, how those guys just incorporated guys. And hey, lots of times you lose your you lose your friends. Like, but the thing about it is, is it it's a situation where you hope and believe that the guy coming in is going to help you, and that's what it has to be. Now, when when you're making a trade, now I guess I don't know if it's different now is when it is when you were were part of a coaching staff. How much say do the coaches have about players that are coming in, or or even so players that are going out? Is that something that the GM? Do you guys have a meeting? You sit with the GM, or is it just something where the GM says, "All right, here's what you're getting, here's what we're losing." How much conversation is, is between the GM and coach, and how much is just the GM making the decisions? Well, a lot of when I was uh, coaching with uh, Glenn, a lot of things came down to, first of all, money. Uh, that was a, a situation where Mac T got traded for Todd Marchant. We traded Tick for Dougie Waite. I mean, those turned out to be unbelievable trades. Basically, Glenn was trying to do favors for the players aforementioned and we got back really good assets uh now i don't think money's involved nearly as much and i think what you're basically trying to do right now and as a coach if you think somebody can really help you then you probably go to bat in that trade i wasn't uh wasn't privy to a whole lot of stuff uh, Barry Fraser and uh, Glenn used to sit down and they'd come and throw the names at you and you'd nod your head or say no, <laughs> uh, whichever way you thought. And once I said no and they did it anyway and it turned out to be a pretty good player. <laughs> I won't mention who it was either. <laughs> okay. I know one thing, when he walked through the door, Glenn thought we got the wrong guy. <laughs> Hey, yeah. uh, hey, Ron. Before we let you go, and thanks for being so generous with your time. Uh, I, I know you're uh, you're working with the Oilers, with the alumni, and uh, doing some work with the community, and, and being an ambassador. And, and I know it wasn't uh, it was tough circumstances because uh, you know the the franchise lost Dave Semenko, uh, but you're kind of uh, not filling his shoes, but sort of uh, taking on that mantle. Tell us what that's been like. Well, first of all, you never fill Dave's shoes. <laughs> he was too big a man and too big a presence. And, uh, like, uh, the legacy he leaves behind is uh, unmatched. Uh, I, I actually did this. Uh, I was asked if I would be interested. Said, sure, I'll do a couple of games. I started on November the 14th. And, Jesus, uh, I really liked the job. I mean, basically kind of fell in love with the job it's been a it's been really neat i've been accepted by the people that you meet in the boxes it's been uh, it's actually been terrific and the alumni has been the, the hockey club has been overly generous to the alumni in the last three years four years <laughs> we have our own room now in the in the Rogers Center, which is awesome. Brownie can attest to that. Except he's working every night, so he never gets to go down there. <laughs> and if I do, please don't tell the team that I'm down there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, but it's been it's been uh, terrific, and it I've had a great time doing it. 
pretty much uh, your days that you work are kind of on your own. If you're there, you're working. If you're not, uh, then it's good. But, yeah, it's been terrific. I really enjoyed it. Ron, we enjoyed having you on the show. Thanks for checking in and sharing some uh, stories and, and great work you're doing with the Oilers and the community now. And uh, remember, never write anything more than a six on that scorecard, okay? <laughs> <laughs> or carry an eraser. <laughs> Depending if you're playing for money or not. <laughs> there you go. Thanks, Ron. Okay. Yeah, thanks. That's Ron Lowe checking in today. Wow, that was awesome to talk to him, Ron. He's a great man. He is, and, and through the alumni, I've got to do a lot of different events with Ron, for Ron, and one of the nicest men you'll meet in the game of hockey. Uh, so it, it's been really cool coming back to Edmonton since retirement and getting to know a lot of these people that you looked up to. So, Ronnie, really nice guy. Big trade, big trade. No, Reed, I don't know. Do you want me to announce it? You can do it. Okay, Columbus gets Ryan Kujawinski. And going back to Arizona is Jordan uh, Maletta. And their two names are the only thing I know about either one of those players, so you're going to have to Google it yourself. That, that is the only trade that uh, was announced during our interview with Ron Lowe. Patrick Maroon remains an oiler. If you missed it earlier, I mean, really the headline today is Paul Stastny to the Jets for a couple of picks and uh, prospect Eric Foley. So uh, that helps Winnipeg. But now there's speculation that maybe the Blues were doing that to clear room to get Pacioretty or something like that. I mean, the rumors are rampant and the speculation is is rampant at, at this time of day the deadline is in just over an hour at uh, at one o'clock edmonton time and rob and i will stay with you bob and jack will pop in i think john shannon's going to join us at 12 30 so we have a lot of stories to follow trade deadline coverage here on 6 30 chat you're listening to nhl trade deadline day on oilers radio 6 30 chat Live from Rogers Place, along with Rob Brown, I'm Reed Wilkins. Special trade deadline coverage here on Oilers and Eskimos Radio, 630 Chet. Brendan Ulrich back at the 630 Chet studio. Jack Michaels, Bob Stoffer on the road with the Oilers. They play San Jose tomorrow. We'll have it for you, 7 o'clock face-off show. The game will start at 8.30 as the Oilers go after their fourth straight win. We'll stay with you into the Oilers now. Time slot recap a wild weekend and keep you updated on the trade tracker. The Oilers have not been active today in terms of making a deal. Patrick Maroon's name still floating out there, so we'll see if something happens in the next hour and five minutes or, of course, as Rob pointed out earlier, could be announced uh, after one o'clock, but the last, uh, well, really, last hour has been quite quiet since the Stastny trade. There's been a couple deals, but nothing earth-shattering. Well, no, the last four players traded I haven't heard of, so uh, I think players are just clearing contract space, clearing uh, money to try to make something going forward. It'll be interesting to see when the next one falls, how quickly the trades come after that. But I, I'm sure that it, it, you may not see anything going on. It may seem quiet, but I, the war rooms are not going to be quiet right now. There's a number of teams that probably feel that they have an opportunity this year to go somewhere in, in the playoffs, and they're going to try to better their team any way they can. Okay. We'll keep going. We'll keep you updated. We are expected to hear from Oilers General Manager Peter Shirelli at some point this afternoon, so we'll bring you those comments when we uh, have them. Obviously, he'll speak after the trade deadline. Reed Wilkins, Rob Brown at Rogers Place. We'll stay with you into Oilers now when we get back.